so that's why Jesus doesn't mention the church. There's no church mentioned in any tribulation scripture passage. If you read the book of Je- uh, Revelation, you start in Revelation 4.1. John hears a voice that says, come up hither, and he's caught up. Now, I don't count that as one of the raptures because he wasn't caught up permanently. He, uh, and he didn't go uh, like Paul did to the third heaven in the sense that Paul did. He was given visions, he saw things, and that sort of thing. But from that point on, there's no church. Revelation 5, Revelation 6, Revelation 7, all the way to Revelation 19. Revelation 19 is when Jesus returns from those points. Revelation 4.1 to Revelation 19, there's no church. And so that's why we know this isn't the church being raptured. And finally, this is about Israel and the Jews alive during the tribulation, which we've pointed out, the, uh, the, and we'll, we'll look at it again. But in uh, verse 34, it says, I tell you, in that night there shall be two men in one bed. And uh, we need to start by getting something said about these two men, because everybody these days has, a, not everybody, but the masses have dirty minds. Two men in a bed. Immediately think of sex because there's sex addicts today. That's all they think about. But I'm sorry, but in this age of Sodom and Gomorrah, we have to address this. <laughs> Apostates increasingly refer to this as a gay rapture because there's two men in bed. Now, Strong's Greek Dictionary is uh, useful just to give you some idea of uh, the word usage. I don't. Uh, I, it's not an infallible source. But we do know that the word bed was used for a couch and it could be used to sleep or for sickness or just to sit when eating. They sat on a bed when they ate. So this could be two men having dinner sitting on the bed eating when the rapture takes place. Uh, If you go to Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary, uh, bed is a place or an article of furniture to sleep and take rest on. In modern times and among civilized men, a sack or tick filled with feathers or wool, but a bed may be made of straw or any other materials. Uh, ver- number two says lodging, a convenient place for sleep. Then it also includes marriage, matrimonial connection, and so forth. Also, the fourth definition, a plat or level piece of ground in a garden. So there are no sexual connotations of two Middle Eastern men resting on the same bed. They could be eating, they could be sleeping, but it wasn't, uh, didn't hold those connotations. Only a sick mind would turn this into the rapture of a sodomite. But this is the kind of thing I, on the internet, you'll see this. Uh, the Luke's gay apocalypse, two men in one bed. And there's one, it's, he says, I don't know how I missed this before, but I did. You know. <laughs> Two men resting on a bed, nothing more. So we'll leave the perverts to their error and move on to the context and message. Verses 35 and 36 repeat the same idea. Verse 35, two women shall be grinding together, the one shall be taken and the other left. Uh, grinding, that's what the women did. With it. They had a stone and they'd either lead an animal, if it was a large stone, but they'd have smaller stones where they'd just push it and it would grind the grain and that sort of thing. And one shall be taken, the other left. Verse 36, two men shall be in the field. The one shall be taken and the other left. Now this isn't teaching that half will be raptured. That's another thing. People say, what's well, saying 50% of... you know? It's not telling you the percentages. It's not saying one in two. It's just saying you're going to see this happen. There are going to be two people doing something one's going to go. There will be some cases where none will go. 
Though he's other cases where both will go. But, which one's more dramatic? The one where somebody's left behind looking around. Well, what happened? It's simply emphasizing that some will be left behind. Now, you recall the context of Jesus' words from our previous studies. And uh, Luke, uh, Re- uh, yes. I never noticed this, but can, can we take from that text that the rapture will happen at night? Mm-mm. We'll come back to that in just a second. Well, let's just do it right now. Just look, look at your Bible there. And you see, um, and it says, verse 34, in that night. Okay? Look up at verse 31. What's the first three words? Amen. So that kind of blows the flat earth theory. Amen. Fourteen hundred years before Columbus, the Bible was saying when the rapture takes place, it's going to be daylight on one side and dark on the other. Amen. Sounds like a globe. Israel talks about the circle of the earth. And Job says he hangeth the earth upon nothing. Doesn't that sound familiar? The Bible was way ahead of science. And when science disagrees with the Bible, just wait, they'll catch up. The science will. But when, when is Jesus talking about the context of this in Luke 17, 22? And He said unto the disciples, the days will come. So this is future. So shall also the Son of Man be in His day. To the second coming. Amen. Not the first coming. In the days of the Son of Man. You also find that when Jesus speaks of Himself as the Son of Man, it's regarding the, Him and Israel. Amen. And not the church. In that day. We talked about that in our Isaiah study this morning. In that day. So Jesus gives us an overview here. The book of Revelation is the detailed version. So what you read here, you're getting a, a kind of an overview. He chooses to give you a little more information here and there than other places. But He is giving you the basics. And then when you get the book of Revelation, you get the bigger picture. There's still a lot not told us. But Revelation... How many of you read that? You read the book of Revelation? Had a lot in there. You remember John uh, 16, 13, Jesus promised this. Howbeit when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Amen. You'll hear people say, how many of you heard people say, well, I'm a red letter Christian and I just focus on the red letters. You're not either. That's in red letters. And if you've got a red letter Bible, that's red letters. And the red letters tell you not to only read the red letters. So there's no such thing as a red-letter Christian because anybody claiming to be a red-letter Christian is in disobedience of the red letters. Amen. For he shall not speak of himself, that's the Holy Spirit, but whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he speak, and he will show you things to come. Jesus is telling us this stuff, but he's also saying the Holy Spirit's going to come and show us things to come. What's that? Everything from the book of uh, Acts on, really, but the Pauline epistles and the book of Revelation. Isn't that amazing? Can you say amen? <laughs> so, jump back there again. Verse 31. In that day, he which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. That's why we know this isn't the rapture of the church. The rapture of the church, you're not even going to have time to think. Let alone to think about running in your house. Amen. There won't be time to do anything but run at this point that we're talking about here. And this is described in Revelation 12. Scripture with Scripture. Let's look at that. 
just one verse, but I want you to turn there. Revelation 12. And this is what Jesus said. When the Holy Spirit comes, He'll explain these things in greater detail. And we got the whole book of Revelation available to study for free online. We, and uh, we go through chapter 12, verse by verse. So we're not going to do it again here, but we just want to look at chapter 12 and verse 6. When Jesus says, Run! <laughs> He's talking about this. Revelation 12, verse 6. And the woman, that's Israel. We don't have time to go into the... If the first study in Revelation 12 studies, we go into great detail why we know this is Israel. And verse 6 says, And the woman fled. They're running. Into the what? And you go back in the Old Testament, there's prophecies about Israel fleeing in the last days to the wilderness and to the rocks or the rock or the city of rocks. Petra, where she hath a place prepared of God. It's ready right now. If the Jews were to run out of Israel right now to the city of Petra, it's ready. Amen. That they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days. That's three and a half years. That means the second half of the tribulation, Israel is running to the wilderness. And they're not even going to have time to think about going into their houses and grabbing things. You, you want to see that today? Look at California. Yep. There, there are people sitting in their homes and out, uh, you know, uh, doing things, and all of a sudden the helicopter comes over and tells everybody basically, run! They look up, there's a wall of fire coming at their homes. Been burning mi multi million dollar homes out there, burning up. Still going on. It's been happening every year, but it's going on right now. So, what about the mark of the beast? Jesus gave us a general description here in our text. Look at verse 33. May not make this connection, but it is. Verse 33, read that. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. You know, that's, that's talking about the mark of the beast. Amen. If you want to save your life, you'll take the mark of the beast so you can buy, sell, and trade but you're going to lose your life. Yeah. And those who reject the mark of the beast are probably going to die. But it will save them. Amen. Amen? Amen? Those who seek to save their lives by taking the mark of the beast lose it. Over in Revelation 14.11, And the smoke of their torment ascendeth up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. Anybody says hell isn't real and people don't go to hell and they don't suffer, they just don't believe the Bible. Who's this talking about here in this context? Who worship the beast in his image and whosoever receiveth the mark of his name. They'll take the mark of the beast to save their lives and they'll lose it. In hell. Amen. So back to verses 34 through 36. You have two and one is taken. What happens to those not taken up in this post-trib rapture? That's a very good question. Verse 37, read that. And they answered and said unto him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Who, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. So that's a good question because they asked it. He's talking about one being taken, another left. They're like, Where are these people going? It's not a reference to the body of Christ. It says body, but it's not the body of Christ. It's to dead bodies. Uh, look over to Matthew 24. 
It's just a few pages in your Bible. Matthew 24, verses 27 to 31. I'll start reading while you turn there. Verse 27 is talking about the second coming. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. Dealing with Israel. And then look what it says. Read verse 28 with me. For wheresoever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. I don't think he'd be calling the church the carcass. <laughs> Amen? So he's obviously talking about dead bodies. And he goes on to say, immediately after the tribulation of those days. So we know the context. He's talking about the post-trib rapture. And the bodies that are left behind, they're not raptured, are dead. Dead carcasses. And it goes on to say, The sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Then, and then, verse 30, shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, Israel's Messiah. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. Why are they mourning? And they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. It's because they realize at that point that for all these... They say it happens, if the rapture had happened right now, this what we're reading about is only about seven years away. And they're going to mourn realizing that for 2,000 years, the mass majority have rejected the Messiah. It'll be a sad, it'll be a bittersweet moment. Then in uh, verse 31, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. That's talking about elect Israel. Go to Re uh, Romans 11 sometime and read that, and you'll, you'll see what I mean. But back to our text, verse 37 again, And they answered and said to him, Where, Lord? And he said unto them, Wheresoever the body is, thither will the eagles be gathered together. Uh, new version translators try to fix this. You know that? Your Bible says, Thither will the eagles be gathered together. Well, that couldn't be right. So they changed the Bible to say vultures. <coughs> I read this. I, I check these new versions out every once in a while. You know. I read this. It always reminds me of a joke. Pastor's wife, Lynn Jackson's wife. She's a sweet lady down in Washington Courthouse, Ohio. We went out to eat one day. And there's a girl sitting there and so I said, are you going to eat anything? You're eating like a bird. She's picking at her food and everything. Pastor's wife says, I eat like a bird too. A vulture. <laughs> Every time I read that, I think of her. She's with the Lord now. <laughs> well, the word, if you want to, you say, well, what's the Greek say? Atos. Pronounced aetos. That's the word for eagle. It's not the word for vulture. So they're changing God's word. Not only our King James Bible, they're changing what the Greek says. Wow. You know what, folks? That's dangerous. Amen. You want to know why you see all these people changing God's word? They're not. I, I tell you, when I first became a minister, I had nothing against updating the language and making it. But I found out none of them do that. They don't just update the language. They're changing God's Word. And it's dangerous. Proverbs said, do that, you'll be found a liar. Revelation 22 has some really strong words to say. Verses 18 and 19. 
Some say, well, but eagles are not scavengers, so we know that couldn't be right. Well, you have some false information. That is wrong. It is a fact. It just went to one of several bald eagle websites. They're experts in the field. Yes, bald eagles consume roadkill and carrion. They are opportunistic hunters and won't pass up a free meal regardless of whether it's dead or alive. And this is why I kind of feel, uh, you know, uh, some relationship to eagles. My food is dead when I eat it. Amen? <laughs> They're also called bald eagles. And then it goes on to say bald eagles are also relatively lazy. Which makes roadkill the ideal free meal. Amen? We were just outside of West Jeff uh, probably last summer, I think it was, and saw roadkill on the side of the road, you know, driving, and then here comes an eagle. Of course, we're not used to seeing eagles anyway. And we see this eagle come down, you know, and grab that thing and just sit there and start nibbling on everything. And I was like, well, man, I wish I had my camera. Because I discussed this before with people, that the eagles do and will eat the carcasses. So other, I just want to throw this in there real quick. There are other examples of crazy interpretations of what this eagle means here. They don't, some, some will say, well, it should be a vulture. Others will say it represents the Roman standard, the flags of the Romans. This is from uh, a fourfold gospel from 1914. It's commentary. And they re he rightly refers to the mistaken notion of Lightfoot. Some of you may recognize that name. He's like one of the great scholars. I mean, great. You know what? Great scholars, you should always take that and think the opposite until you see otherwise. Amen. Most of the people called great scholars are not. Amen. And this Lightfoot and others that our Lord here makes a covert allusion to the eagles which were born upon the Roman standards. Jesus is talking about flags. I don't think so. But this is another one. Uh, People's New Testament with explanatory notes from 1891, the carcass is, there will be the eagles. The term carcass well represents the utterly corrupted Jewish state. <laughs> the eagles is a fit symbol of the Roman army, every legion of which bore the... How many of you know that the, most of the seminaries will teach that the second coming of Jesus already happened? They teach that in 70 A.D. when the Romans came down and skinned people alive, raped the women, and destroyed everything in Jerusalem, that was the second coming of Christ. Yeah. And you wonder why I just make fun of these people? It's just crazy. And people pay like $100,000, $150,000 to get educated like that. They also, some claim these are, the eagle represents the saints. Eagle eye. It seems to be applied to Christ's glorious coming to judgment, where I shall be who am to be the judge, both of the quick and the dead. Thither shall all the world be gathered before me, but my, but my saints especially, who have eagle's eyes. It's just totally baseless. But I'm just saying, if you don't just take this Bible as it's written, take it in context and so forth, you can end up anywhere. There's also some who take, teach this avenging angels. Eagles is referring to that. Well, Scripture with Scripture, let's see what this is. <laughs> How many of you know, what is the best Bible commentary on the Bible? The Bible. Here we go. Let's let the Bible tell us what this means. 
Revelation 19, 11 through 21. I'm going to read while you're turning there. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. This is Jesus at his return. His eyes were as a flame of fire, and his head, uh, on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but him, he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood, and his name was called the Word of God. And the armies which were in heaven, those are the saints who were raptured at the beginning of the tribulation, followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean. And look at this. And out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. And I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried with a loud voice, saying to, What? All, All the fowls that fly in the midst of heaven. That would include eagles. Come and gather yourselves together unto the supper of the great God, that ye may eat the flesh of kings, and the flesh of captains, and the flesh of mighty men, and the flesh of horses, and of them that sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free and bond, both small and great. If you want to read an historical account of uh, something similar to this, read some of the accounts of uh, the past wars, like the Civil War, uh, World War One, especially, World War II. Uh, you, they'll, they'll describe what it's like. The, all these birds come. Uh, when we have roadkill out where we live, I see a bird and I'll call it the cleanup crew. Yeah. <laughs> the cleanup crew has arrived. Verse 19, And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies together, gathered together to make war against him that sat on the horse and against his army. And the beast was taken, and with him the false prophet that wrought miracles before him, with which he deceived them that had received the mark of the beast and them that worshipped his image. These both were cast alive into a lake of fire burning with brimstone. Read verse 21 with me. And the remnant were slain with the sword of him that sat upon the horse, which sword proceeded out of his mouth, and all the fowls were filled with their flesh. That's where the eagles are that he's talking about in the last verse. Verse 37. This is the wrath of God upon those who rebel and reject Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. If you're saved this morning, you will be spared from God's wrath. We're going to close by reading that. I like to, you know me, I like to end on a positive note. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, let's read this in closing. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, beginning in verse 6. Therefore let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and for an helmet, the hope of salvation. Read verses 9-11 through 11 with me. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. What's coming for the unsaved, those who reject God's gift of salvation, think they're going to be saved by making up their own religion or whatever, it's bad. 
But if you're saved here this morning, and you know that you've been born again by faith in what Jesus Christ did on the cross, not your own works, you're saved by the works of Jesus Christ. Jesus died on a cross, and when He did, He shed His blood. He fulfilled all the Old Testament pictures and the sacrifices, and shedding His blood, He, God, in human body, that's an infinite sacrifice paid for the sins of the whole world. And that's the only way you can not go to hell. Amen. The only way you'll go to heaven is if you have placed your faith in what Jesus did on that cross. Shedding His blood and dying for your sins. They buried Him. And after three days, He rose from the dead. Conquering sin and death. When you put your trust in Him, you're trusting the only one with the power to raise you from the dead. When we do the baptism, each one of these new believers is going to stand in that water. They're going to go under the water representing the death and burial of Jesus Christ. And then we raise them up out of the water picturing the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Each of them is telling those who see this, that's my testimony. I believe that Jesus died for my sins, was buried, and rose again. And that's what this baptism is all about. It doesn't save you. It doesn't add to your salvation. You're going to be baptized because you're saved. And that picture is for the benefit of everyone who sees it to know your faith is in that death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Amen?